Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another week of looking at the good and bad aspects of nursing and healthcare. This week I have author and new nurse advocate Janelle with Novice as the new nurse back for another episode. Welcome, Janelle. Hey. <laughs> so excited to be here today. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you back. It's been a while since it we've has. talked. It has. I think it's been over a year, huh? Yes. And I always enjoy our conversations so much. I don't know. It's like we think the same way about a lot of issues. And so it's yeah. just fun to just get in deep into these conversations about things. I always learn so much whenever I talk to you. And so for you guys who aren't familiar with Janelle, she has a an Instagram and a company called Novice is the New Nurse that is focused on helping new nurses overcome. Well, I'll let Janelle explain to them what your company is. (laughs) Yes. And you know, it's funny because it's constantly evolving what my mission is. But yes, novices and new nurse, we're geared towards helping the new nurse feel more confident, feel more comfortable, let go of anxiety, release all of that tension that makes practicing as a nurse difficult and tricky. Isn't that wonderful? For those of you who are listening, I I hear from you so often about how difficult it is and about how encouraged you are whenever you hear us talking on this show about how hard it is at first and how you overcome that. And I know culture is very different right now in healthcare and in nursing. We're working through it, though, and I still want to continue to try to encourage, especially new grads. It's just a very different time right now that we're trying to work through. And so one thing that I've always tried to do is to maintain an element of positivity, no matter what is going on around me, the whole place is on fire and I'm still going, well, but look on the bright side. <laughs> you know, yep. It's hard to do. It's, it is getting harder and harder to do that, but there's, it's still there. There's still a light there. And if you run away, you can't fix the problem. And uh, so I, I believe very much in, sticking around and trying to do something, you know, to improve things. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much magic in being able to do that though, to be able to ground and calm yourself in the midst of everything. And I feel like it just, it takes one person to be that calm and to ground that. And then it transfers to the next person and the next person and the next person. Then we can all collectively come to some solution for what is currently the state of nursing (laughs) in the world actually. But you know, start with yourself. Absolutely. And I believe wholeheartedly that we are so much more powerful as a collective, as as nurses, we really need to try to come together and put aside our differences and focus on the fact that we're nurses and we want to improve our conditions for our 
patient's sake. For those of you who don't know, we have a Facebook group called Nurses March for Redonda's Law, and it is over 13,000 people now. And basically, we're just focused on trying to get a law passed in the state of Tennessee and then ultimately, hopefully, every state that will protect healthcare professionals from being charged criminally for making a a good faith error while doing their job. If they are honest about the mistake, upfront and honest about it, I wholeheartedly believe that that is the best and safest place for everyone concerned, patient, yeah, healthcare professionals, everyone. Yeah, I think it's so, it, it was supposed to always be that way to you make a mistake and you share that mistake. So we all learn from that mistake, regardless of the outcome of that mistake, right? Like true mistakes so that we can fix the systems and we can have better policies in place. When we start criminalizing these honest mistakes, the whole system will fall apart. And what people don't realize is, and and the prosecutors and the jury and everyone involved, what they don't realize is that you could also be a patient one day where a mistake is made. And now we're so afraid of punitive action being taken against us that there will be no changes in that system to prevent it from happening to you or someone that you love because nurses and and physicians and pharmacists and everyone involved in the direct line that can create those actual sentinel events in, in the healthcare system, if they start hiding those things, we're in big trouble. If you're afraid for your livelihood, if you put someone in survival mode and put their back against the wall, they're going to choose themselves every time and and nothing is going to change in healthcare the way that we want it to. So that we've got to fight harder for that. So I, I love that that's something that we're, that you're pushing for and that we can all join in to push for and to make it something that happens all across this nation. And then eventually, hopefully the world too, like nursing is something that expands and touches every corner, you know? Yes. Absolutely. If you're interested in getting involved in this effort, you can email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com and I will send you a link to a sign-up form where you can uh, basically put in your information. You can put in your state senator, state representative. And if you live in Tennessee, you're going to start working right away. (laughs) And if not, we will be coming to other states as soon as we get this passed. And it is going to pass. Make no mistake about that. We're working very hard on it and it's going to happen. Are you thinking about going back to school to get a master's degree, maybe a family nurse practitioner degree? Well, it's so important to choose the right program. Samuel Merritt University's MSN FNP program has a 100% employment rate after six months. Unbelievable. And Samuel Merritt University has been kind enough to continue to sponsor our podcast. And they want us to let you know they're continuing to offer a $10,000 scholarship to anyone enrolled in their MSN, DNP, or family nurse practitioner programs. If you're interested in getting more information about these programs, you can visit them at smumsn.com. That's smumsn.com. And of course, we'll put that link on our website if you want to just go to goodnursebadnurse.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash goodnurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. So I guess we can get started on this bad, it is a bad doctor story. Juicy. Mm, it is. It's, it is it's, it's our bad doctor, true crime portion of the show. But this one, at least 
isn't so incredibly dark. Some of these stories get so dark that it's like, I don't know, it's depressing and all <laughs> scary and creepy. And yeah. this one is, it has those a little bit of those elements, but well, you, you'll see when we get into okay. the story. Okay. <laughs> so this is the story of a doctor by the name of Tanya Torn Genjanisak. She's a doctor from Texas. And she met her husband, who was named David Chavez. He was a soldier in 2014 when she met him. And he was stationed at Fort Drum, New York at the time. So he moved to Fort Bragg in April of 2016. And then they married a couple of months later. So while their marriage was still in its infancy, she decided to go to medical school. So they would have to get together, meet for long weekends. You know, this that's how you make something like this work yeah. out, I guess. You just have to, to figure it out. And that's what they did. Long weekends. He would make the trip to Ohio. And obviously, text messages and phone calls were probably a big part of this. Well, in 2015, and this actually happened before she even moved, he started getting these really weird text messages just inundated with very bizarre, creepy, even text messages. So they would, they were apparently coming from women, all different types of women who he did not know. And he. Like ex-girlfriends, like jealous soldiers that he was in like. I guess he's, maybe that's what he was wondering because he didn't know. It was almost like they were anonymous, but. You could tell from the messages that that they were acting as though they knew him and that he should know them. Isn't that creepy? Very creepy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he just dismissed the text messages and he just didn't even entertain the thought of them until March of 2016 when they started making a resurgence again. And one of the text messages said, hi, it's Ariel from Saturday. And then there was like a little smiley emoji. Well, he just ignored it, and you know, just like he had done before. And then another text message came across that was a little more hostile, and it said, "You know, it's rude not to respond." Ooh, mm-hmm. Ariel was upset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that even I mean, as a woman, I feel it would be really scary. But even even as a man, you sh- you don't know who this person is. Someone is clearly targeting you. You do you have no idea who they are. If it's multiple people, it doesn't make sense that there would be multiple women randomly texting you about situations that didn't really happen. Yeah, yeah. Unless those women were getting together to target him specifically. Hmm. True. That's that's mm-hmm. one thought too. Like maybe they were like, yeah, I don't like him either. <laughs> and they yeah, decide yeah, to like, really mess with him. Yeah, form a little community of hate against him. Mm. And he got married recently, right? Like it sounds like they're like mm. conjuring something up. Hmm, I okay. see, I see. So then he gets another text message that says, I know you're lonely and feeling unappreciated and I know your wife doesn't understand you. So now they're kind of almost baiting him and trying to... It feels like to me, trying to get him to say something negative about his wife. <laughs> and he's like, I know better than this. Yeah. <laughs> well, the text messages were not the only area of concern. So one of those visits to Ohio when he went to see 
her while she was in medical school. He attempted to drive his car, but he realized that the brake line had been severed. How scary. I mean, mm. so good that he figured that out before he actually, you know, got down the road where it would be really, you know, hard to stop and and he ends up, you know, really getting hurt. Oh, he figured classic, this out. classic, like, suspense thriller movie, like, yep. cutting someone's brake lines. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then you really know, like, this this person, it goes from maybe a prank or just someone messing with you to clearly somebody means to do you harm. Yeah, like, this is real stuff now. Mm -hmm. And then he started getting sick, and he, he suspected he had been drugged. So... Yeah, this the, would freak me out. <laughs> mm -hmm. He starts getting more text messages. A whole barrage assaults him now, shortly after uh, the conclusion of this trip to see his wife. And the animosity intensified. So one of the text messages said, the breaks and poison the breaks and poison were me and your dumbass can't figure it can't figure it out. <laughs> oh my goodness. So someone's really trying to take him out at this mm -hmm. point. Right. So that message was followed by at least 35 messages that said, I want you dead. 35 messages. Did he ever go to the cops? Because now I think I would be like scared. I would. I don't think I would leave my house. Mm. I would need to, yeah, I would stay at a friend's house. Like I just would have to shake up my entire routine now because this sounds yeah. too targeted. How do you <laughs> even know what's safe? Like, do they have a tracker on your car? Do they have some way of following you all over? Do they know where you work versus, like, who is this person? You would have no, you wouldn't feel safe anywhere. He was too calm about it. I would have changed my number, <laughs> abandoned my car, abandoned my home. <laughs> like, yeah. that's it. I'm out of here. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD Stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet. And I have plantar fasciitis. So now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products, greater than a thousand milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD stat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care, be sure and put dot care instead of dot com forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. 
So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing. Uh, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. The following month, an ominous text was received with its trademark smiley emoji and read like a line from a low-budget horror film. It said, there's a surprise coming for you, which is to die for. I hope you like it. Somebody's really melodramatic here. He's too calm. Mm-hmm. He's too calm. Well, he went back for another visit to his wife in Ohio the following weekend after receiving the ominous text message, and he was again drugged and almost fell down a flight of stairs. This is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, like clockwork, I got another text message. Did you like the beer? And then, like, a whole litany of question marks and exclamation <laughs> points after the text. So they actually end up getting a divorce. He, he, he divorced his wife in June of 2017. And a few months later, she confessed to the FBI that she was behind the threatening text messages to her then-husband and to oh other people. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What I in mean, that case? Mm-hmm. So, I mean... Really, who would think? So she had to have gotten a different phone in order to be able to text him from a phone other than hers, or obviously, clearly, he would know it was her. So she, this is an elaborate plan that she had, all the while allowing him to travel across the country to come and see her. What kind of sick and game poisoning is this? him? Right, she's like poisoning him. She's watching him like mm-hmm. take ill. Did she graduate medical school? Like, is she actually a doctor at this point when she's like doing all these things? Like, I believe she did. Uh, yeah. So you're causing and inflicting harm mm-hmm. on your husband, creating mental distress in his life. Yeah. What is, what is I know. This? Well, I know. It, it's just inexplicable. The identity of the two other people was not disclosed. So we don't know who the two other people were and how they were connected. 
but she was convicted of one count of interstate threats to injure, and she was sentenced to one year and one day in federal prison in addition to three years of supervised release. From what I understand uh, about the criminal justice system, if you're if, if you are can, if you're sentenced to one year and one day like that. They can't let you out early. That's what I yeah. understand. <laughs> yes. That's what I always learned that one day was, which is like, you can't be released on like good behavior, any kind of other like requests. It's like, this is like solidifying. You at least have to do those 12 months, 365 days, which she honestly, I feel like she needed other charges because you poisoned him multiple times like that has to be attempted murder right that's what i'm thinking this is cutting your brake line (laughs) this is attempted murder this isn't a threat and in potential injury this is it like you know in the hospital how they have like near miss versus like sentinel event and like their categories like these feel like near misses but like intentional right you know and we hold those to higher regards because it almost reached the patient so it's kind of like you intentionally tried to get him. You did it on purpose. Right. He fell down a flight of stairs after being drugged. He got in the car and started driving it. It just so happens he caught that the brake line had been cut. I wonder if like he could sense things from her. Like, what caused their divorce? Like, I'm so curious about that too, right? Like, was it the stress of him receiving this, like these bad vibes since they've been together? Was it that she was like playing a different personality? Like it was too stressful for her? Like what caught, that would have been juicy to know. Like what, why did they get divorced? Could you feel something from her? That was like kind of creepy and off. Because you have to kind of be creepy and off to be poisoning your husband. (laughs) Well, something was clearly wrong. And what's interesting, for him to be traveling to see her, you would think that he wouldn't have known. Or surely he wouldn't be, at the very least, he wouldn't be driving a car that she had access to or drinking drinks that she, you know, that he didn't know exactly where it came from. Because it happened multiple times. The only thing I can think is that maybe, you know, they didn't, probably have definitive proof of the brake line being cut and the poison or the, you know, the drug being put in his drink. And so those were things that he suspected, but if she didn't admit to those things and she only admitted to the text messages, maybe that was sort of a compromise. Like at least she would serve some time in prison. Oh, I see where you're getting at. Yes. Like if you can't prove it, then you can't, yeah, it's true. Because like, what was the follow-up on that? Did you go get a blood test? Did you actually like get your your system like tested for what the substance was like to find out if she had access to that? Because, you know, we, it would be nice to know if like her medical background gave her access to certain medications or sedatives or whatever that she could use to actually like poison him. Mm-hmm. Like, what did she mean when she said poison, right? Right. Hmm. Right. And it it may be that those events happened and he didn't think about, he didn't connect it to her until later. And then, right. And the evidence is kind of gone. Right. (laughs) Of course, if you listen to like complaining to her and confiding in her. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is awful. mm -hmm. Well, there's no documented motive for this event. And also, there's no real clear indication as to whether or not she's going to have additional charges against her because of the harassment of the other two people. I I don't know, you know, did she admit to those or is she kind of 
and are just not going to, you know, I don't know, or they may be not pressing charges. Who knows? So also there isn't any documentation regarding her license and ability to practice after, you know, once she completes her sentence, is there a a plan or a, a route that in which she would be able to get her license back and actually take care of people. Mm-mm, that is an absolute no, no. <laughs> she should know it's an absolute no. She should not be allowed to be in any form of service or patient care to any human or animal because she's proven to be dangerous because what is, what was her mental state when she made these decisions? Like what were, if we don't even know the motive, then how can we like avert that, like avoid that happening again? Like what, what tweaked in your mind that told you over a span? And it's not like you had a moment, like one moment uh, you lost your senses, you were in a rage. She was doing this over a couple of years, it says, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. And, but if it was only the text messages, is that enough to take someone's license away? Like if they, they don't have any proof of the other stuff, so it's you're literally only – you only have text messages of threats. So I don't know. It's, it gets sticky. Mm-hmm. It does get sticky. It, when you, so, you know, funny enough that you've shared this story because ju- juicy details – for the last, it actually stopped this. Well, actually, I got like one or two this year. But like for 2020 and 2021, I was getting like random text messages that I to this day can't link to the person, but I know who the person is, but I can't, that there is no actual hard evidence to link it to that person, but I know it's that person. And so when you put it like that, it's like he has experienced all this like, mental turmoil and he's like he's feeling this and then he finds out it's her but there is no real proof behind all the other things that are happening right so like with these messages it's like I know it's you but I can't prove it's you so therefore it's not enough to do anything with because who else would know how else do you take any more legal action for harassment how else do you know prove that she did have an intention to harm him right like that does get tricky because if it's just messages then does that interfere with you providing care as a medical doctor? I don't know. It's sticky. I kind of yeah. feel like it might. I think you could probably make a case for that, you know, that argument that, you know, it's, it tends to, I mean, it goes toward, a, you know, their integrity or their, their state of mind or their ability to, you know, I don't know how they would treat others. But so many times, though, people in, in healthcare are very different in their professional life than they are in their private life, it's like maybe they're a great nurse or great doctor, but then in their private life, it's like they did what? You know, it's. Oh, well, you know, that's tricky to me too, because I feel like for me, who you are in one area of your life, it does overlap and transcend and move into the other spaces of your life. And you can use a lot and exert a lot of energy to pretend this is not you in your professional life, but sooner or later, it will catch up to you. You will make a slip. And the true you will show up. And so if it is not within your actual moral fabric to be a certain way, it's hard to trust that you could have that same sort of integrity with your patients because there are a lot of things that, you know, we do as healthcare professionals that there's no one watching. There's no one looking. There's no one. This is like within good faith. Like, did you when you listen, what did you hear? You're actually reporting that you you give a med. Did you actually give that med? 
You know, there's a lot of things that it, it comes down to who you are as a person. So if she's the type of person where we don't even have a motive and she just woke up one morning and decided she wanted to be evil to the man she shared vows with, how can I trust you with someone that's like that you've never met and you don't know? You know, we have to like instantly form these connections with our patients. And it comes down to the pure essence of human to human. Like, I don't have to know anything else about you. It's just you're a human and you're in a vulnerable space. And I vow to, to facilitate that healing for you. And so here we go. Right. And if that's not knitted within you, no, forget about it. So to me, she sounds questionable. Like, I don't know that you should be practicing as a doctor because when else will this sick game start up in your head? Like what patient will come in that will need something that you'll decide, oh, I want to do this again for a couple of years. Like when will that personal side of you show up professionally? That's oh, my like, concern. Or if maybe you have a patient that you don't like, like if she, some patient comes along that she just doesn't like and she wants to passive aggressively or secretly, you know, prescribe a wrong medication, even you though see? she, yeah, yeah. I, I could definitely These see These are that. real things. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, it feels like, oh, it could be harmless. Your text messages. No, this, this extends deeper because, you know, we're human. We have, I've encountered a lot of patients where I'm like, oh, you are exhausting to me. Like, I don't know that I want to do this anymore with you, you know, and you take the important and necessary measures, which is you do what you're supposed to do for that ship and you provide as much compassion as you can muster up. And then you have a conversation with whoever, you know, is collaborating with you that day, which is this is no longer a therapeutic relationship. And I cannot like honestly be here providing and, and trying to facilitate any kind of healing because it's not our relationship or dynamic isn't therapeutic. But even that takes integrity to recognize and say, you know, like imagine you're just so overreactive and your spirit is so agitated that you're like, Ooh, I don't like you. Let's have fun. <laughs> like, Ugh. She's yeah, that's creepy. scary. Right. She shouldn't be a doctor. She should go work in retail or something, mm-hmm. not in the healthcare right. profession. <laughs> I agree. With graduation season already in motion, now's the time to plan for the next steps in your career. When I first started my career, I remember feeling so insecure, like I just didn't have any resources. That's why I recommend checking out the nurse residency program with HCA Healthcare. HCA Healthcare's year-long nurse residency program is tailored to support newly graduated nurses and ease that first-year anxiety. With benefits like continued education, including state-of-the-art simulation training, student loan assistance, tuition reimbursement, endless career growth opportunities, and more. Plus, HCA Healthcare gives you the opportunity to advance your career in one of the largest healthcare systems in the country, and you'll have support from a community of caring, experienced nurses and fellow nurse residents. Don't wait. Students who are preparing to graduate and recent grads are eligible to apply to the nurse residency program at HCA Healthcare. Learn more today at careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. Again, that's careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. HCA Healthcare, an equal opportunity employer. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So I guess we can get 
to talking about this, our good doctor story. This is, we've talked some, about this good. before. Kind of, yeah. It's a little bit, I don't know. It, it, sometimes when you go back in the day a little bit too, there were things that were done, you know, maybe a hundred years ago that today would just be like, you would never do that. And so it's so hard to sometimes judge like was what the culture was then, what was acceptable by society. And you just wonder how in the world was that acceptable by society? So this is the story of Ludwig Fleck. He was born in 1896 in Lvov, Ukraine. He Went to medical school, but his studies were halted as a result of World War I that divided nations. He worked as a medical officer during the war and witnessed the devastation wrecked not only by the war, but by typhus. So it was during this time as a medical officer that he first encountered Dr. Rudolf Weigel, an older and acclaimed biologist who produced an effective vaccine against typhus using uh, lice as the host of the disease. I know. Yeah. Talk about creepy. (laughs) (laughs) So the vaccine actually worked, but it was difficult to produce and it wasn't tested on humans. He was reluctant to test the vaccine on humans as he was concerned that he wasn't actually a medical doctor. So the First World War concluded and Fleck became a prominent virologist. He established a private medical lab in Lvov to conduct his research on diseases, including typhus, as it was difficult for Jewish people to obtain research positions in Polish universities. So his work, again, brought him into contact with Weigel and his team, who didn't discriminate against Jewish researchers. And it was in Weigel's lab that Fleck made a major breakthrough and invented a skin test to diagnose typhus. This is such a big, it's such a big deal. And we, I think so many times we don't appreciate these huge breakthroughs, you know, in science and medicine that changed history, you know? Yeah. For all of us to be here so comfortably. (laughs) Right. Anti-Semitism inundated Poland during the 1930s as Nazi propaganda gained traction. Jewish operated businesses shuddered at the onslaught of anti-Jewish law and favor. So riots and mobs assembled and unleashed horrors in known Jewish towns. Authorities did little to stifle the hatred. A few short years later, the Nazi forces arrived at Lvov and herded Jews into camped ghettos. The poor conditions of the ghettos were ideal conditions for the typhus outbreaks, unfortunately. Fleck and his family were forced into an apartment in the Lvov ghetto, but his research on typhus continued. He collaborated with other Jewish scientists, and he managed to create a typhus vaccine in a laboratory inside the ghetto's Jewish hospital from the urine of infected patients. The vaccine was able to save many lives in the ghetto as well as in the nearby Janoska concentration camp. Nazi guards soon became aware of the vaccine and requested that they too be inoculated. However, of course. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it benefits them. He used the Nazis' beliefs against them and advised that the vaccine would likely be ineffective to the Germans being of a different race, you know, their elevated race, you know. You don't want this vaccine, surely. But <laughs> wouldn't be effective for you. Not from us. No, no, no. You don't need it. <laughs> right. I mean, wow. I mean, it's made of the from the urine of ill Jews. Surely you don't want that, right? Surely you don't want this. <laughs> so in 1942, Fleck and his family were transferred to Auschwitz. His medical expertise was recognized by the Nazis, and he was later transferred to the Buchenwald concentration camp. He was a, to assist in the German government's 
endeavor to invent a durable typhus vaccine for the German soldiers. So at this time, the best known typhus vaccine was produced by Weigel, but the Nazis were reluctant to breed lice in Buchenwald. The team eventually developed a new way to breed typhus in animals like guinea pigs, rabbits, and mice. So a vaccine was developed before Christmas in 1943, but the results were not effective. It was then that Fleck was transferred to Buchenwald and placed in charge of the vaccine project. He adjusted the method that typhus was being bred and created a vaccine. He and his Jewish colleagues decided to keep their discovery a secret. They produced two types of vaccines, one that was harmless but ineffective and one that was efficacious. The ineffective one was sent in large quantities to the front line of the German war front, and the effective vaccine was sent in small quantities to be used in the camp. So whenever the Nazis would become suspicious, like, why do we keep getting typhus even though we're taking the vaccine? (laughs) Mm. They demanded that tests be run on the vaccine independently so he would send a vial of the real vaccine how stupid <laughs> do they have to be they're just like hey wait a minute we want to test okay let me send you some for you to test let me send it <laughs> right they're like okay the vaccine is effective i guess you're doing you know you're sending us the right one so him hit fleck and his family survived the holocaust and eventually left poland when anti-semitism resurged in the late 1950s he worked in epidemiology in the institute of biological research in the israeli town of nez ziona and wrote philosophical works until his death in 1961 so kind of an interest i like these stories just sort of historical just it's interesting to me there's so many movies and documentaries about the whole period you know that of world war one and world war two and nazi germany and all you know the, the concentration camps one of the first movies i can remember seeing all of that aside from i knew about anne frank and and that book but aside from that was schindler's list have you ever seen that movie mm-hmm. yeah i actually watched it in, in college it was i don't know i think i actually took some sort of like jewish history course like an elective type of course and we did we watched that and I've actually gone to Berlin and learned some things there too and yeah it's an intense piece of history to recall yes it is yeah yeah it's so important to for us to remember it you know so that we don't repeat history so you would think surely there's no way but if you don't go back and examine these things and why they happened and what happened, you know, some, so many times you go back and look in history and you see some just unfathomable event that happened. You just think, how could society have done something like that? But a lot of times they were, it was very subtle. There were very subtle changes that took place. And the people were not necessarily, the society was not necessarily all for it. It was just, they were just sort of apathetic. You know, they were just indifferent to it. If it, didn't, if it didn't affect them. Yeah, it's like these small things, but we're so distracted by life that it's like if it's not directly affecting you, then you stay in your distraction. And it's like, ooh, that sucks. And honestly, do you remember like thinking it kind of like all comes together? Because when you think about like he's creating a vaccine and it was an outbreak. When COVID first was a talk, 
And it was like just little chatter in the background for us as Americans here living in the U.S. Mm -hmm. This was like November, December. And it was like from far away. It was like, oh, this thing is happening in China. I don't know if you remember. Us as Americans, I remember me specifically. I heard it, watched it, and I was like, oh, man, that's awful. Like something else has like you know, resurged for them or, or come up or whatever. Cause you know, there's always some kind of like respiratory syndrome and I moved on from it. Like it was like, Oh, anyway, distracted back to work, back to mm-hmm. life, back to everything happening here. So it's true. What you're saying is like, sometimes if it's not happening directly to you and then it hit the whole world, but you know what I mean? If it's not happening directly to you, you're not really like zoned in on it. But partly also, I feel like we've been conditioned to be a little bit selfish in that way too. Mm. Kind of like with all the ways that we've become separated, you know, like we've kind of been conditioned to not care. Well, I think that too, it may be a self-preservation mechanism, you know, a coping mechanism for us as human beings. If we stayed focused all the time on all of the devastation and the horrible things that happen in the world, we wouldn't be able to function. So we have to be able to compartmentalize and understand and know that things are going on. But if we have no control over it, just be able to move on, you know, that I feel like there's a balance there somewhere where can, is there something we can do? Can we do anything? Or should we just, like some people will just say, I don't watch the news. I don't want to know what's going on. I, I, they just go about their life and don't, don't want to get involved. Don't want to know any bad things that ever happen. Look, me, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, sometimes I'm that person where I'm like, oh gosh, I can't take it. But I think each of us has our own, we have our own role in the collective. I think you can't involve yourself with everything. It's just you, you, your physical nature will collapse. We're not designed to take on all of that. Like we would crush, you know? So it is true. We do go into a form of like self-preservation, but then we also become sensitive to specific things. And we are called to pay attention to specific things. And when that specific thing comes up, then ah, that's your lane, stay in that. Like every one of us has a lane to kind of elevate the collective and just like, just listen and get still and find what your calling is. Cause you can't do it all. We can't, we just cannot. And if everything affected us, we would all collapse. Like we just wouldn't, like, I know for sure. I am such a, like, so sensitive to things that like, Sometimes if I do watch the news, I will get really heavy and depressed for long periods of time. So I am that person. My mom, sometimes she'll call me like, I know you're probably in here, but let me tell you because I know you're in your little bubble over there. And I'm like, kind of. Yeah. Well, because uh, if you know that about yourself, you know that if, you do, if you're not careful and about that, then you're going to become completely ineffective. You know, so every like you said, everyone has their roles and it's just better for us to figure out where we fit best and where our efforts are better focused. But that story is kind of tricky though, because it's like, it's good doctor, but like shady doctor at the same time, because technically when we think about, again, right, like ethics and medicine and integrity, his job as a virologist and and to be a part of the creation of a, of a vaccine, anything that in, puts you in healthcare requires you to be impartial and requires you to remove your biases and requires you to remove your own personal feelings and to have your you know have a good conversation with yourself about what are my values and how can I clarify that so that I'm not bringing that in the room with me. You know what I mean? And having very 
stepped like step back from your emotions and your feelings kind of approach. So he got a little shady there because mm-hmm. no matter like this is the part about medicine that will trip people out. It's like it doesn't matter what they did. Your job was to create a vaccine that was going to be effective for them. Withholding that is technically, no matter what they were doing, is technically not ethical. Mm-hmm. Te- you know, it's tricky because we want to hate the Nazis, and we do, but <laughs> it's just like when we're, you know, if a Nazi showed up to a hospital because they had a gunshot wound and I was the nurse that day, guess what my job is to do? Be impartial. Got to still take care of you. I still have to promote and facilitate your healing. I still have to remove what my feelings are. That's why like, I don't even want sometimes to have these like certain conversations like with patients that try to bring it up because it's like, no, no, no. My role here is completely different. Leave the news on the news. Let me do what I'm supposed to do here for you, you know, because yeah. That's a tricky little shady story you shared there. I know it is. It's, you know, he ended, it's interesting that he ended up teaching philosophy, you know, because I wonder if that didn't enter his mind, you know, if it, maybe it bothered him because he, he, I'm sure felt like he was doing something good in creating the vaccine and helping people. But then I wonder if it bothered him sometimes the, the decision, because if you think about, you have this government that is targeting your people and, so there, and it was an active, ongoing situation. So, did he see it like an act of war? You know, like yes, a, yes, like chemical know. warfare. Like I, right. that, when you you mention it, that's what came to my mind. It's like he actually participated in the war, and he used a form of chemical warfare. He withheld. You know, yeah. It, if you look at it from that perspective of war, then mm-hmm. he's kind of a war hero, right? Like he stood up for his people. And he, you know, he kind and it of does lessened say that the threat. It was the military, the officers right. or the military people that he was withholding it from. So it, it's not like he was, because, you know, that's where, uh, especially, you know, you can have people in Germany who are not a part of the war. They're not, they don't participate. They don't even believe in it. But then if they're targeted, then that, you know, that's innocent people, you, uh, civilians, um, but then, you know, if you stop and think about the fact that it, it was actually the very people who were targeting them, I guess you could um, make an argument <laughs> so for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And he risked his life in a way, too, right? Because had they found out, you know, so he did take a I mean, it's. It's a tricky, it's tricky because he took a brave step towards action to, to protect very innocent people, right? Like he, he did take a, a brave step, but it's also a shady step because we're involving medicine and, you know, just regular day-to-day stuff. I guess you did a badass thing. Involving medicine is like, but again, you know, you started out mentioning what was ethical then may not stand as what is ethical now, right? Like they had different there was a different culture, a different code. Like they had a different awareness around these things. So, you know, maybe that made a lot of sense. (laughs) Well, I guess that wraps it up for another episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Thank you so much for coming on the show and lending your wisdom to us. Remind everybody where they can find you. Yes, at noviceisthenewnurse.com or noviceisthenewnurse on Instagram or Facebook. (laughs) 
And you guys know you can find us at goodnursebadnurse.com. And we're on all social media at goodnursebadnurse. We love to hear from you. You can email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. And I also want to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. <laughs>